0: That was a great mini-sermon. Right, everybody? Listen, what a wonderful time we have before us this morning. I want to open us in, in, in prayer, asking that the Lord would speak to us. King Jesus, we're so delighted to gather in your name. We ask that you would have your word come alive for us, that it might impact us for your kingdom's sake, that we might read it and help us to be doers of it. Lord, we want to digest all that you have for us. And we pray, even now, I pray, that you would soften our hearts, prepare (laughs) us to receive the correction, the rebukes, the training in righteousness. We want it all. And so we ask that your spirit would come. Revive our hearts, that your word might come alive to us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Listen, it's been a it's been a really fun uh, last three weeks as the Lord has closed us to uh Hebrews chapter ten. It was a three-week little um mini uh what would you call it? Um I don't know, what do you call it? A little series, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Little series, uh tips for tumultuous times. Um Three weeks ago, we talked about drawing near to God in hard times, the importance to draw near to him. This applies in all aspects of our Christianity, the need to draw near to God, not just in hard times, but in good times. We need to remember to draw near to him. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of doing the will of God. That both in hard times and good times, we need to be men and women that are willing to do the will of God. And how do we know the will of God? Through the word of God. We have to allow the word of God to direct us so that we're able to do the will of God. That should be in the heart of every Christian is to do the will of our heavenly father. And then last week, a great sermon on waiting for the son of God. That there should be this anticipation. There should be uh, this desire and a living and a longing for the return of the king of kings. Amen. Amen. If you remember, we talked about Acts 1 how the goal of the church since the ascension was to be expectant, to be waiting As it was spoken to the disciples, it says, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the ascension of the king? Because this one who you see will come again. There was a definite ideology that you are not longer looking for his ascension. You are now to be living for the return. It was almost as if he's saying, hey, go and be about the father's business. Be about all that he had taught you to do. Because they were caught up. Their their rabbi was ascending into heaven. And it was at that point that the church was to have this expectancy for the return. So important. We talked about how how Maranatha used to be a very popular phrase taken out of 1 Corinthians 16.22. It means, oh, come Lord soon, come quickly. And I'm, frankly, as a pastor, I'm concerned because I really believe the church as a whole has kind of lost this sense of the return of our king. Because this is a biblically correct attitude that we should have. And it seems to be lost. 2 Timothy 4.8 exhorts us that we are to be among who love the appearing. We're to long and love for the appearing. Why? Because it will affect our daily lives. Living expectantly is key to our Christianity. And the passage that we're going to study today will give us a better idea of how looking for his coming will affect our daily lives. So turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We covered this text a little bit. Britt mentioned it. It's looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. But before we cover verses 13, we're actually going to start with verse 11. But I want you to know that I really believe that this is at a perfect time. This scripture has come at a perfect time. It's on the brink of a new year, a time where we already are used to reflecting and correcting our lives. At least you should be. I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. I'm a huge fan of biblical reflection or correction. And and so this time of year we're we're looking at a new year, we're already as a society we're kind of longing for that Resolution. I really believe we need to capitalize on this opportunity to really reflect on where we stand in regards to the will of God, the word of God, the reflection of what he's done in our lives. We, we should, in the name of Jesus, spend some time this morning asking him, seeking him, Lord, where have I fallen short? Lord, where have I grown? Where would you have me grow more? Where are you leading me? Where are you guiding me? That's a good way to start your year. Not some diet that you know you're going to just fizzle out in within a month. Matter of fact, really quick, who right now is remained and sustained the diet? They started in 08. God bless you, one of us out of many of us. So let's not set ourselves up for failure. Let's set ourselves up for a kingdom perspective. And I really believe that's what this passage is going to do for us this morning. Starting in verse 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace, his unmerited favor towards the wicked and unworthy sinner, you and me. He has delivered us out of condemnation and death. He has pulled us out of the darkness into the light. Amen? Amen. For it was the grace of God that brings salvation. I love what John MacArthur says on this passage. He says, the grace of God is more than a divine attribute. It's a divine person, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ not only was God incarnate, but was grace incarnate. He himself personifies and expresses the grace of God, the sovereign, eternal, and unmerited divine gift of him who appeared, bringing salvation to all mankind. Glory, hallelujah. That we would heed the call. As grace was given to us in Christ Jesus, we who have received as he appeared to all mankind doing so, doing so, having received this, verse 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Teaching us, the, the Greek word here, teaching, has in mind what a parent does for a child. And speaking to them in the entire training process, teaching, encouraging, correcting, disciplining, that, that's that idea that is given here, teaching us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. In other words, grace puts ungodliness and worldly lust behind us that same idea that romans 6 has paul says what shall we say then shall we continue to sin that grace may abound heaven forbid no certainly not how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer no god has called us out of that that's why grace came that's why jesus came to pull us out of that amen we have to get that concept we are no longer to be who we were. Yeah. We're to be seeking who we are called to. Amen. Yeah. And by looking for the coming, friends, it allows us to be who we've been called to be. That's why those angels said to the disciples, go for this Jesus who you seek. He will come again. And brothers and sisters, he's coming again. Amen? What is ungodliness? It's a lack of respect towards God. A lack of reverence towards God. We're called to deny ungodliness. How does that pan out in our lives? I I, I really believe that that as the church has matured, we really actually have um, matured in in error. It seems as if not only is there no longer this anticipation of his return, but it seems like there's a, a lack of a right, reverent fear for our God, because we see grace in the wrong idea, not as Romans six paints it. We see grace as as that um, that card that. That uh, trump card that we like to play When when we want to do our own thing Well grace will forgive See Grace was given that we might walk in it Not tread on it And so there needs to be this fear Of God So often Not heeding carefully to the voice of the spirit Is that ungodliness That is talked about right here we're called to deny it. We're called to deny worldly lust. What does that look like? I think the best picture we'll find is in Galatians. Why don't you turn there with me? Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Some of you are saying, oh, pastor, don't read this one. This is going to ruin my New Year's party. No, this passage is going to make your New Year's party better. Because what it says in verse 19 it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissension, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, rivalries. And as I always like to point out, if your sin was not mentioned here and the like, your whatever your issue is, there it is right there, because the enemy would already have you say, see, you're not listed. You're good. (laughs) No, you're not. Because it goes on to say, just as I also have told you in the past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, casual and abusive drinking has found its way really comfortable in the church today. Pornography is plaguing our churches today. Adultery and sexual immorality and the like. Vanity, outbursts of wrath. Listen, I'll be transparent with you right now. As as parents tell me, that you have not seen outbursts of wrath. You're like, wow, I didn't even know that was in me. But, friends, that's not who we're called to be. We're called to deny. And unfortunately, ungodliness and worldly lust are so prevalent in our church today. I came across this book this week, and um, it's called Unchristian. It's written by um, a man who works for the Barna Group, a research company. He actually has become the CEO. He's a believer, and he wrote the book because having done all his statistics, whenever Christians were brought up, it concerned him. And I'm going to read from the chap- chapter 3, um, very eye-opening chapter. The, chapter. the name of the chapter is called Hypocrisy. hypocrisy And it says this. So how did Christians acquire hypocritical images in America today? Let's start with the most obvious reason. Our lives don't match our beliefs. In many ways our lifestyle and percept <clears throat> excuse me, and perspectives are no different than those of anyone around us. In virtually Every study we conducted representing thousands of interviewers every year, born-again Christians fail to display much behavioral evidence of transformed lives. For instance, based on our study released in 2007, we found that most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those of non-born-agains. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born again believers were just as likely to bet, gamble, visit pornography websites, take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered illegally drunk, to have used in an illegal or non-prescription drug, to have said something to someone that was not true, or to have gotten back at someone for something he or she did, and to have said mean things behind other people's back. No difference. One study we conducted examined Americans engaged in some type of sexual inappropriate behavior, including looking at online pornography, viewing sexual explicit magazines or movies, or having an intimate sexual encounter outside of marriage. In all, we found that 30% of born-again Christians admitted to at least one of these activities in the past 30 days, compared to 35% Of other Americans. In a statistical and practical terms, this means the two groups are essentially no different from each other. If these groups of people were in two separate rooms and you were asked to determine, based on their lifestyle alone, which room contained the Christians, you would be hard pressed to find much difference. Friends, that is not only pitiful. It's grieving some. It's it's heart aching. Because the problem is, is you've seen it and I've seen it. You've participated in it and I have. And the text today leads us to denying those things. We're to deny these things. You know, I think a large part of the problem is, is that Christians are setting uh, their standards with each other instead of setting the standard with the word of God. Because remember, we all agreed that the will of God is what we want and where we find the will of God in the word of God. But so often we're not willing to allow the word of God to correct us in ways that it desires to do so. Instead, it's easier for us to set standards with each other. Why? Because you make yourself look a little better than you are. Well, I'm not doing what Susie's doing, so I'm all good. Well, things are not as bad as Johnny, so I'm cool. See, when we set our standards with each other, we're allowing the blind to lead the blind. Friends, we cannot do that. See, take for instance, you you, you take Joseph. He was allowed to be in the court of Pharaoh because he was used mightily for the kingdom of God in the courts of Pharaoh. But Moses was not allowed to be in the courts of Pharaoh. He was called out of the courts of Pharaoh because he was used mightily for the kingdom of God outside the courts, But what if they both lived in the same genre at the same time and Moses looked over at Joseph and said, well, Joseph's in the king's court. Why can't I be? What would that have done for the work that Moses had set before him? It would have been squandered because he would have desired and had allowed the standard to be Joseph. That can't be. And even vice versa. If Joseph would have said, no, Moses, he got out. I want out. Then think of the implications of the life that God had called for Joseph. Friends, in the same way, we make the huge mistake by holding standards with each other and not the word of God. And that cannot be. And here in this passage, it teaches us to renounce or deny ungodly and worldly lusts. Some translations say renounce, to give up claim, title, position, or right, to give up a habit or pursuit or practice, to give up habits and pursuit and practices. That is to deny or to renounce. I think another problem that plagues our church today is that there is a lot of self-entitlement. Well, I deserve this. I should get that. I've lacked this, so I need that. That phrase, me time, I need me time. What? Don't ever come to me with me time. My time, my space, my face, me, Mine. me, oh my. We have been plagued with this idea of self. And what does that do, friends? It takes our eyes off of the longing for the return of Jesus Christ, and it puts it on ourselves. And no longer are we effective. Now we've become hypocrites. we become everything that we should not be. You see, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have from God? And you are not your own, for you were brought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. You have no rights. You can't be singing my space, my time, my this, my that. It's yours, his. His. Verse 12 says we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That is how we will affect our society and our community. It's this three-dimensional instruction. First, we are to live soberly in regard to ourselves. What the Lord is wanting to do inside the work that he has begun in us, that he will be faithful to complete. Second, we must live righteously, that right standing before God, because in doing so, we become effective, we become the salt, we become the light. The the very world around us will be affected when we are living righteously. And last, we're to live godly. Godly in regard to our God, our King. He's our King. He is no longer to be ignored. No longer are we to use his name in vain, but instead honor him, fear him, adore him, praise him, worship him. This is how we will affect our present age. God has called us to that. You have to believe that as a a Christian. You're called. By God I understand that that This is a difficult concept Like for us It it could be overwhelming I've been called to live soberly uh, That that idea of being self-controlled That alone That one point Really, really Ministers to me To be self-controlled Just think of in in your life All the areas where you're out of control So many areas Yet we've been called to live self-controlled or soberly. We've been called to live righteously. Friends, before you become overwhelmed or discouraged, understand this. That our God, if he has called us to live this, then he will give us the capability to do so. Otherwise, he's a mean God and says, live like this, but you'll only ever be able to get like this. Because a lot of us may be here, this is where God has called us, but you have to believe. You must believe that if God has called you to be this, then that is what he's called you to be. If he's called you to live holy as he is holy, then he will give you the capability through his Holy Spirit to do so. Men, God has called you to love your wife as Christ loves the church. It is impossible apart from Christ. But in Christ Jesus All things are possible You can obtain to be The godly husband That God has called you to be You just have to humble yourself In the sight of the Lord And he will lift you up He will allow you to be What he's called you to be Otherwise he wouldn't call you To be that He wouldn't call you to that He wouldn't call us to live Soberly, righteously, and godly If we were not able to do so Friends He has come And called us to himself to live this life. And we're to do so in this present age that we might affect it. That hope that he's talking about, it's not hope and glory, it's hope in him and his return. And friends, in that alone are are so many promises wrapped up. Because when he says he will return, friends, He will return. And when we're living for him in that way, that expectant living, looking for that return, then the soberly, righteously, and godly life will follow. As we wake up in the morning seeking to please our king, keeping our eyes on him, friends, this lifestyle, Will be present in your life. Turn your Bibles to 1 John 3. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 2 says this Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that we, what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, what we shall be like for we shall be like him as he is. Amen. Oh, I long for that day. I long for the day of the coming of our King. Not only will we see him, but we'll be like him. But listen to verse three. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is a connotation, there's an idea here that when we're living, when we have this hope that within that there's a purification that happens in our life. Do you understand that this is the key to our text today? That living a life soberly, righteously, and godly It's found in living a life with this expectancy. Living a life for him. Eyes on him. No longer on self, no longer on each other, but on him. You know, in Luke chapter 2, go ahead and turn there. There's a story. There's a parable that Jesus gives. It's a parable that I have applied in my life constantly because I am in need of encouragement to keep my eyes on him. It's a parable. As I read it, I'm going to let you know right now that we, we, there's no way we can unpack everything in this parable. But there is a just to this parable. There is definitely something that we can take away. And as Jesus says Verse 42, chapter 12 of Luke, it says, What then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find him doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying in his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him into two and appoint him to his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself Or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed these things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him much who has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Friends, there are two servants in the household of the Master. One who stays steady and busy about the master's business. And in doing so, when the master returns, hears that wonderful phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. But there was another servant who says, my master delays in his coming. And he begins to eat and drink with the drunkards. And then what? Begins to beat the female and male servants i'm telling you right now as a pastor that i have seen this text come alive so often in the church where's that there's that idea of oh, oh my master delays in his coming there's, that phrase is never really used but the the lifestyle reflects the phrase And that is, all of a sudden, their eyes are no longer on the appearing of the king, but it's on themselves. And they come uh, self-consumed, and they begin to eat and drink with the drunkards. And next thing you know, they're beating the servants. Uh, You know, you see this often of people that I like to say, the person that was sitting there, the person, those two people that are missing from that seat, where are they now? Right now, they're sitting at home saying, oh my goodness, that church is filled with hypocrites. I don't want to go there no more. So-and-so talks about me. So-and-so said this about me. So-and-so is doing that. They begin to beat the servants within the house of God. This is talking about Christians, not a non believer and a believer. The wicked servant is of the household, and they're both in the household. But only one is found faithful the one who keeps his eyes on the prize. The other one who drifts, whose eyes get off the prize, begins begins that lifestyle of um, the, the lifestyle that is portrayed here that we all have seen. Unforgiveness beating each other friends this 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 should not be because if we remain faithful as the faithful servant then we are blessed when the coming of our king arrives why? because we will hear well done good and faithful servant well done I don't know about you, but that's what I want to hear. That's what I desire to hear. And I want to keep myself from this life of the wicked servant. And that's why the author is saying, deny these things and live like this, soberly, righteously, godly. Why? Because of verse 14. Turn back to to Titus 2, verse 14. Why? Because He who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. He gave himself for us to redeem us. The redemption that has brought us out of slavery. He has paid our ransom. He has bought us out of slavery to sin and he has purchased us for His service, to be what He's called us to be, I love that phrase: His own special people. In the Hebrew, it's translated; it it it, it, ref, it refers and it has a meaning of reserved for. And it was used in those days, uh, especially when when a when a king would go and conquer another kingdom, the spoils that were taken there was a special spoil that was reserved for the king that he desired for himself, for his own special purposes. That is how he refers to us, his own special people, reserved for his special purpose and were to be zealous for this good work. He's called us, not to live a life for reality, not to live a life for your own agenda, but to live a life for him and him alone, for his glory, for his purpose, for his name, for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen? Listen, turn real quick to Philippians chapter two. This is another one of those texts that really helps me to remember that I have been called with a purpose Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all these things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. Amen. Mm -hmm. Holding fast to the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me, for we have been called to the purpose of serving the king of kings. We've been called to good works, not works that any man should boast. We're not talking about works that give us into heaven. We are not saved by our works but we are saved for good works. Christians, we cannot escape that idea that God has called us for a purpose. There is a reason why you still exist. There's a reason why you still breathe air. That is because God is desiring to further his kingdom that we would be a light amongst this perverse generation that they might see what happens when you render your life to Jesus. You don't become a hypocrite. You become a powerful tool in the king's hands. And, And friends, we are to be zealous for these good works. Zealous. We are redeemed and purchased to live with zeal, not apathy, not complaining, disputing, but to live with zeal, a righteous, right zeal, zealous. Actively and undeservingly, just, just all out with enthusiastic, not manufactured by human, but there's a, a divine attribute in it when we're serving the king. And and those of you who would testify, hey, I know what you're talking about, brother. When when I've stepped out in faith and and, and allowed God to, to move through me, it's the most amazing feeling, right? Maybe you've gone on some missionary trip. Maybe you've done something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone. It feels so right because it is. It's because it's what God has called you to be. Now, mind you, for some of you, take for a mom, for instance. Parenting and loving your kids perhaps is the calling that God has for you. And by loving them, You're furthering the kingdom. You're doing his will. They were given to you as a father. You cannot neglect that. Because for some of you, you take this message and it becomes condemning. You're thinking, what am I doing for the kingdom? I'm not doing anything. I'm a loser. Yes, you're a loser. (laughs) I'm a loser. But when we come to that grips and when we come to that realization that yes, we are, but in the hands of the father, man, man. Look what happened with the disciples. Those guys, look at those guys. They're no different than us. But when they were willing to yield and live for the king, they were used mightily. Read the book of Acts, brothers and sisters. That's the God we still serve today. He's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is our king, and he desires to do great and mighty things through us that amazes me I mean let's just come clean I would to have picked you you would to have picked me if you were God and saying okay I want to further my kingdom so I'm choosing you guys I feel like you'd get more loyalty from dogs man's best they are so loyal you throw the ball they'll go get it they'll bring it right back and what do they want next throw the ball again but God did not choose the dog And I know some of you are saying, well, maybe he did. No, he didn't. There's an obsession with dogs nowadays. It's weird. I'm just going to come clean and say it. God did not call dogs. He's called us. And unfortunately, sometimes we live life like dogs. And no longer are we to be a statistic. And and friends, God has given us an opportunity today, right now, to reflect and take stock. God, where have I fallen into ungodliness? Lord, is there any wicked ways that have woven into me Because repentance today is so essential for your Christianity tomorrow. As you wake up and you desire to live a life for him, brothers and sisters, you got to get right today. Amen? See, because as we ask the Lord, Lord, is there any worldly lusts in us? Then we confess, we get right, and we move forward. I like what what the author of this book at the beginning of the chapter the perception of the Christian he he paints it clear we're hypocrites but his hope and prayer was that the new perception would be that Christians are transparent they're transparent about their flaws and they act first and talk second see and there's a lot of wisdom in that See, because it would be so easy for us to leave here thinking, yes, okay, God has called us to this life, but we all know that we fail. But friends, in your failure, if you're willing to be transparent, then it allows for the humility that will allow for the maturity. Now you grow, but when you pretend and you fake and you hide, that's when you head down the the path of the ungodly, the worldly. And then you become another statistic labeled a hypocrite. Listen, God has given us an opportunity today to come forward and pray, to come get on your knees, ask the Lord, repent to the Lord and if, if you look at me and you tell me, no, I'm good, I'll throw this book at you. <laughs> See, it's a hardback book, and it'll hurt, and it'll hopefully wake you up, because brothers and sisters, we have to. I, 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 I'm amazed at the amount of people who will be like, hey, can I pray for you? No, that's good. Really? Okay, I'm the pastor here, and can you pray for me? Because A, I want to slap you, and B... I struggle with self-control. There's many things I struggle with. I have to come clean. Because in doing so, I allow myself to be more useful for the kingdom. But it's when I hold back, it's when I pretend, it's when I'm phony. That I become all that God has called me not to be. To close our time this morning, I'm going to finish with Titus because chapter three is so good. Matter of fact, I would encourage you as homework to go home and and read the last chapter because practically speaking, it is so good for you to practically put in place what is about to be read to us. Listen, verse one of Titus chapter three. Paul says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Amen? Amen. To speak evil to no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Pride is nowhere allowed in the life of the Christian. We are to be humble. Verse three, for we ourselves were once, and and here's where Paul gets transparent. Paul gets transparent with us and he says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness And the love of God, our Savior, towards man appeared. Woo! Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Whom he poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for this church, this day. God is calling us to a higher level of accountability, a higher standard. But don't be discouraged because in that calling, he's going to give us the capacity. Did you catch it right there? The Holy Spirit is such a key ingredient. He will and desires. Friends, you got to be willing to come forward, be transparent, get right, repent, and then be encouraged and ministered to and indwelt and empowered in the Spirit of God. Amen? Father, we're so honored and privileged. And blessed that you would call us, that you've given us a purpose, Lord, that you wouldn't just save us to save us, but you saved us with a purpose to love you, to love others for good works you've set before us. Lord, we want the feet that will humbly and faithfully walk in them. We want to live a life worthy of the calling. And we know this comes through your Holy Spirit, living lives of righteousness and godliness. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us, that you would pinpoint, that you would reveal to us the areas that we have fallen short in ungodliness and worldly lust. We want to rid ourselves of these things that we might run the race that you've called us to. And so, Lord, we ask for your work, your movement. You, Holy Spirit, come. Move amongst us now. We desire this as a body, as a congregation, as brothers and sisters, as servants of the Master. We long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And by the way, Lord, we ask that you would come quickly. We want to see you. But until then, we ask That you would empower us to honor you, to live a life for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends,